This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Proof. Saw Jack after in the intermission and he was still so angry about the hit. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm gonna get a dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to the Skate Podcast, episode 46, Trade Deadline Edition. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined alongside Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin once again. Guys, we'll just dive right into it. So, late last night into the early morning, Bruins signed or trade for Mike Riley of the Ottawa Senators for a 2022 third round draft pick. And then, obviously, later on, they traded Anders Bjork in a 2021 second rounder to the Sabres for... Taylor Hall. Which was really, it ended up kind of burying the first trade in terms of what people were talking about and what people cared about. I think both trades addressed the problems that they needed to fix. And I think altogether, the moves which happened, what, like an hour maybe apart from each other, uh, they both showed that Sweeney is ready to invest in this team and really trying to make this team be able to have a deep run yeah and just to finish off the trade they also got curtis lazar in that deal as well so Sorry. scott your uh, <laughs> your uh preliminary thoughts yeah I, th- I think it was a really good deadline for don sweeney uh you know it was a team that kind of had to pick a direction like either they were in and they're making another run or it was time to start turning things over for the future and you're you're in a playoff spot you should be in the playoffs you know i know you know, the Rangers, Flyers are still kind of there. I think Rangers are a little more dangerous. Uh, but you have, you know, six games left against the Sabres. Like, you, you should be making the playoffs, and if you're in the playoffs, you should have a chance if you make moves to improve your team. And that's what Don Sweeney did. He made moves that improved the team. Uh, you know, we can get into whether they solve the issues, whether they put them, you know, quote-unquote, over the top. I, I don't think they're that kind of the moves, but I think they're – they're moves that have the potential to really help you and really give you a chance. Yes, there's a gamble there, but there always is with a trade. Like, you know, we can get into Taylor Hall obviously having a poor offensive season, especially in terms of goal scoring. He has just two goals. He has his career low shooting percentage. He has just not been able to put pucks in the net. He has not been able to finish. So, yeah, there's some risk there. You're bringing him in ideally to play on your second line next to David Krejci. I know, you know, they haven't announced as of Monday afternoon. We don't know exactly how they're going to line up, but that's kind of where we're thinking he'll put him to start. Um, Which would be um, an improvement for to have someone like Krejci next to you to set you up. When you've gone to teams in the past, after he's originally drafted, he ends up on teams like Buffalo where he kind of just has a stagnant offense, and he doesn't have necessarily the setup guy that he gets with David Krejci. Well, he had Jack Eichel to start this season, and Eichel then got injured and has missed a lot of time, but their chemistry was never there. Like, Mm-mm. So even, you know, we yes, Hall has not had much support in Buffalo for the last month and a half or whatever it's been, but even when he was on a line with Eichel, they just were not clicking. They were not producing. So 
you know, it's not just about supporting cast. Like he has to own some of this. Um, what's interesting about putting him with Krejci is they're both sort of setup guys first. Like, you know, I don't know sort of what Bruins fans have as an impression of Hall, but he's really been more of a setup guy. He creates chances. Uh, he, you know, creates scoring chances, but they, he's not a great finisher. He's never been like a natural goal scorer. He's never really been like a sniper. The one year he had 39 goals, that was his MVP year in New Jersey. It's the only year he broke 30, and 24 of those goals came on the power play. So Because of a great screen from Jimmy Hayes in front. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, because the power play was basically built around him, it was built around getting him chances. Yeah. So, you know, don't expect a, a sniper that's not who he is, and especially with the way that his finishing has dropped off recently. It's not who he's going to be, but he will create chances. And he has very similar statistics to Krejci this season. He's got two goals yeah. and 17 assists, which is very, very similar to Krejci. And, I mean, but together... On the power play, I could see him being able to help on the second unit. Yeah, well, it would have to be the second unit based off of how they use him in New Jersey. In New Jersey, as a lefty, they put him on uh, his strong side, right? So that's where Pasta, as a righty, sets up for the one-timer. So there would be some conflict of interest there. So, you know, it would be the second unit if they want him to do what he did in New Jersey. Um, Just quickly, um, you know, my initial thoughts when all this went down last night was I was just stunned. Um, The fact that you address three uh, team needs— Taylor Hall for a bona fide top six uh, forward when he's playing uh, to his game. Uh, Mike Riley, left shot defenseman. We'll get into him a little bit later. And then as well as Curtis Lazar, who brings a lot of sandpaper and grit that you'll want in a playoff series. But I'm looking at these moves, and Don Sweeney made these acquisitions without giving up a first rounder, without giving up a top prospect, and without giving up uh, an impact regular roster player. So... You know, you give up, you give up a a, fir, a second, a third, and Bjork for for Hall, Lazar, and and Mike Riley. To me, it's it's if it doesn't work out, okay, it doesn't work out. It's it's low risk, high reward. And you know, um, in the NHL at the trade deadline, you're either in it to win it right now, or you're in it to win it a later day. And uh, the Bruins and Don Sweeney, they're clearly in it to win it right now, as they should be, as we've discussed. Yeah, the the trades. In a vacuum, just looking at okay, what you gave up, what you got, are unmitigated wins. Like, and they don't even have to take on the full contract yeah. for Taylor Hall. Right, They're taking yeah, the, only the, half. The, of so it. they made the cap dynamics work. They didn't even have to use long term IR space. Uh, they actually made it work just under the regular salary cap. Um, yeah, so you know, look, I don't know if they if it makes them a Stanley Cup contender, but it gives guys reason to believe. It gives them, you know. Reason to look at and say, okay, we're going for it. Our general manager believes in us. He went out, got us help. Like, now let's go out there and make our playoff run. And you know who I think this helps most is Taylor Hall. Because, like, he's going to come in and really want to prove that this was just a a season that Buffalo had given up on and guys there had kind of given up around him and that this is not what he uh, can actually bring. That What you saw on Buffalo was just, you know, throw that out. I'm going to have a clean slate on a team that is, you know, right above the playoff bubble. So I think he's going to be really motivated to to kick it up a notch. I think maybe this helps him more than anyone else. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, okay, Scott. I mean, you would hope so. Like, if it's not, then then what is he doing? Like, what is his career? You know, he's never been on a team this good. He's been on teams that have – he was on a Devils team that barely made it to the playoffs – 
by the way, made it because of him. That was yep. the year he was the MVP. Yep. But wasn't close to a cup contender. Uh, was on an Arizona team last year that wouldn't have been in the playoffs in a normal year. Got in because it expanded to 12 teams in the bubble. But, yeah, he's never been on a team like this. So if this doesn't motivate him, if it doesn't get him going, uh, then obviously that would say a lot about him uh, and not particularly good. And I, I want to take this. This is probably the perfect time to play a little bit of that audio of him talking about how he felt about playing in Buffalo and about how he felt coming to the Bruins. It was such a whirlwind of a year that, um, you know, that just it, it went pretty pretty badly, obviously. You know, we started off our first 10 games, we were about 500, and then we um, we had a, the COVID outbreak, and we just we couldn't get our footing after that. And and for myself, obviously, wasn't the season that I would have liked to had, not even close. So these last few days was, uh, you know, I you, you do some soul searching and you do some you, you look back on on what you could do better and and look forward to the future. And and obviously, I'm so happy and excited to be a part of the Bruins, and I can't wait to to play, and I can't wait to to be a part of a group like that. Yeah, so Bridget, like you said a minute ago, you have to take Hall and Buffalo and throw it out the window. It, it, it's not relevant. You take it with a grain of salt. If you're a Bruins fan, you have to expect that that won't be the case. When you're in Buffalo this year, you know, Taylor Hall's plus minus was, was abysmal, along with the rest of the team. He's like minus 20, you know, over minus 20. Um, but when your defense is so porous and and you're not, you're not, be, you're not able to defend in your own end, or transition to offense, obviously that's going to affect every forwards game. And and so as Scott mentioned, yeah, Hall isn't scoring at the rate he wants to, but he is generating. So you put him in the Boston system with the you know elite players that Boston has to offer. You know, Krejci's probably not elite anymore, obviously, but he's certainly uh, a very very strong number two center, and he'll Hall will get some some ice time with the top guys at, at points as well. So um, I do wanted to uh, to transition to how Hall and Lazar, mainly Hall will impact the forward group and, and what that will look like. So, you know, I'll go first. Basically, I've talked about in the past how anytime the Bruins go on a cup run, you need three lines that can jump over the boards and score. And the acquisition of Taylor Hall specifically absolutely gives the Bruins that depth now, and everybody else is allowed to fall into place. No longer is Nick Ritchie going to be, and he's been, he's played well, but no longer is Nick Ritchie going to be asked to play, you know, top six minutes, ideally. Craig Smith still may play top six minutes, but ideally, you know, those guys can slide down to your third line. And when your third line, Craig Smith Craig Smith has 22 points on the year now. Nick Ritchie has 20. So when you have your third liners putting up those points, that's true scoring depth. I think uh, Curtis Lazar, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him too much, but a few years ago when he was in Calgary, they played the Oilers in a Battle of Alberta playoff series. And Curtis Lazar was an absolute honey badger. He was go- running around uh, like a chicken with his head cut off, and he was making an impact. He was finishing checks. He was getting in the face of, of the star players on Edmonton. And I believe Calgary won that series. And when you look at the teams that the Bruins are going to have to go through, um, like Washington with Garnett Hathaway and Tom Wilson, and the Islanders with Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin, and you know Casey Sezikis and Tampa Bay with uh, Barkley Goudreau, and, and uh, I think Paquette's gone actually now, but... Um, uh, Yanni Gord. These are players that that Curtis Lazar will thrive going afterwards. And you know, you put him on a fourth line with a Trent Frederick and then maybe a Sean Corrali. That's a that's a pretty antagonizing fourth line. So everybody falls into place now. That's the kind of fourth line the Bruins are used to having. And on the teams that have made deep playoff runs, that's the way that that fourth line is made up. Think about 
in uh, 2011. They had Sean Thornton. They have, you know, all of these grinders on the fourth line, and that's just kind of how they want that line to be built. Recently, with all the the carousel of rotating uh, rookies and inexperienced players that they've had up there, those were mostly speed guys, skill guys, and just Frederick, who actually wasn't even on the fourth line uh, to begin the season and has been, you know, cycled through the other lines. This is more the look that they have gone with in the past and had success with when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, and Lazar has some offensive pop, too. Uh, You know, nine points this season, which isn't a lot, but if you look at, like, the guys who have been on the Bruins' fourth line who have three, four, five points, like, you know, the guy who has five goals so far has a little bit of offensive talent, and like you mentioned, the way he plays, it helps bring uh, some identity to that fourth line that we've talked about before that it hasn't really had this season, in part because... Guys like Corrali and Wagner, you know, haven't really been playing the games that they've played in the past. They've rotated in all these Kuhlman, different guys. Kuhlman, yeah. Bjork, Stanika. You, you just name any of the guys that have been in and out of the lineup, and they've all been cycling into that fourth-line role, and, and no identity, as you said, was created, and this could give them a chance. Granted, Frederick needs to come back from his illness. You know, you need to make sure Corrali stays consistent there in the center. Not that they really have a different option that they could go to there. But I think this means, for Wagner, this might mean very limited playing yeah, time. Yeah, he's probably it, your 13th or 14th forward, which is kind of what he's been for, for a little bit here. Uh, I think he had a stretch of, like, five straight healthy scratches. So, But, you know, he hasn't – I don't think he's really earned a regular role this season, and – you're not going to get one given um, to you, so. And he, you know, he's he's starting to try. He's getting the message. I mean, obviously, their last game against Washington, which we won't even bother to talk about because their decor was literally not even dressed. Um, you know, he gets in a fight off the opening faceoff, so he knows, you know, that he has to. That's bring a telltale it. sign. It's a telltale of, sign. I, I'm fighting. responding in, yeah. you know, in a very physical, in your face kind of way. Now, yeah. Brendan Dillon used to play for San Jose, and uh, Wagner was out in Anaheim with the Ducks, so there may have been a history there, but you don't just see those two randomly go off. Off the opening face, right? You know, there's something. Yeah, I think I think Wagner was, you know, maybe partly to prove himself and try to do something. But I think also, and I think the Nesson broadcast mentioned this. Like, you know, you have so many young guys in on defense. You know, it, it come second end of a back to back. It might. It was probably an easy game, and as it turned out, it it was an easy game for the Bruins to just be way off and not have their energy. So I think he was probably trying to get something going and set a tone, and obviously it didn't work. They got you know. Their, their teeth kicked in in that game. Yes. yes I mean, did. you knew it was going to be bad, but that bad, it was just, it, it ended up going from bad to sad pretty it, quickly. It, and, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, if anything, it just helped Don get on the, you know, Don had been working the phones in the morning, uh, so it's is, been reported. So This Hall trade has clearly been in the works. Like, this yeah. this deal with Hall has been in the works the whole year, I would, yeah, I would it, imagine. It, and Hall, in his uh, press conference on Monday, basically said, like, when I found out that I might get traded a couple weeks ago, uh, the Bruins were at the top of his list. So like, you could yeah. tell, yeah, you he, know, t- talks were happening then, and he had told Kevin Adams, Buffalo's GM, you know, hey, if I'm getting traded, I want to go to Boston, try to make it work with Boston. Uh, you know, he talked about how he almost signed here in the offseason as a free agent. Yeah, why, why don't we go to that audio sure. right now? In, in going back to the offseason, how, how close uh, were you with the Bruins in, in discussions? Yeah, I mean, really close. I was, um, I was ready to, I was ready to come to Boston. Um, it didn't work out, and uh, and then I was, you know, I, I had to to choose between some some other options. But 
Um, I've always had a ton of respect for the Bruins organization in the city of Boston. I, uh, I came here with Seg, I came to Boston with Sagan in, in, um, in 2010, just before our draft. And I love the city. I love the, uh, love the fan base and, and the way they care about hockey. And, uh, every time I've come to Boston since then, I've always, always really enjoyed my time there. So it's a city that I have a lot of, you know, respect for as a, as a sports city. And I can't wait to get there. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a history. I mean, I can remember 11 years ago now in the, the 2010 draft, it was it was, it was was uh, Tyler versus Taylor, Hall versus Sagan, who was going to go to Boston, who was going to go to Edmonton. And Sounds so, like they both wanted to go to Boston. Pr- yeah, probably. And, you know, obviously Sagan goes to Boston, and, um, you know, we had that experience, and now here we are 11 years later, and now we get to see what it would be like with Taylor Hall, obviously a little bit older. But, you know, I, I think... Speaking for myself in the offseason, when, when he went to Buffalo, you know, from a Bruins perspective, I, I thought that was it. You know, he goes to Buffalo, he plays well, the Sabres do well, he won't be available. Uh, so, and the Bruins probably felt the same way as, as the year got underway. Obviously, that changed going forward uh, as the season went along, but I don't think the Bruins anticipated Taylor Hall being available at the trade deadline. And I think somewhere along the way, that became a possibility. And, you know, another guy that they got, Mike Riley. These are guys that, like, I didn't anticipate being available for the Bruins, but so when we're talking in the past about you know potential deadline acquisitions, we're talking about Kyle Palmieri and you know uh, Goligovsky and Ekholm and well, it, Edler and it, all these guys. Back because at the conversations we had previous to this, like the Goligovsky move to sign him, I, I'm so glad. Like I prefer the Mike Riley move. It, it was oh, yeah. it, it was at the time. We were thinking the Bruins were in a situation where they needed to be a little bit more desperate than it turned out they needed to be because they had offers that they were working on behind closed doors that were more, I would say, more cap friendly, more solid um, in terms of where these guys would fit in and, and how they the role that they would be able to play. So the Goligoski stuff and different like Zay Jack and Palmieri, I don't know about you guys, but the Zajac Paul Mary deal, in my mind, wasn't the best of the two options if you're talking about Holland Lazar. Well, I think, I mean, I think the Islanders definitely got better, and I think getting they, they did, but would getting you Paul Mary have... and Zajac and only giving up one first round pick and no top prospect, I still think that was a good deal. So, I, you but know. for the Bruins, what was the fit? What would? The... Oh, I think I think Paul Mary would have been a good fit, but you know, I think if the Bruins were going to deal with the Devils, it probably would. Pun, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> if the Bruins are going to make a deal in New Jersey, I think it would have been something similar before Palmieri and Kalikov, who ended up getting moved for a fourth-round pick. Because um, I think they wanted the the one forward, one defense. They ended up with two forwards and one defense. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, Riley's a nice get. Like, you know, I guess we can get, get into him now. But he's... I want you to hold off on a few minutes on him. Okay. I won't stop, but keep going. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that was a nice get. in Hall, I don't know. I think teams, including the Bruins, probably had it in the back of their minds that he might be available again. And I think even Hall might have kind of known. He sort of hinted at that in uh, his press conference on Monday where he was saying, like, you know, I, I didn't expect to go to Buffalo and win a Stanley Cup this year, but I thought we were going to build something. I thought we were going to get momentum going in the right direction. And he even mentioned, like, and then I thought, you know, I'd have a decision around trade deadline if I wanted to stick here or if I was going to be available in a trade. So I think even in the back of his mind, he kind of knew, like, if this doesn't work out in Buffalo, I can just get moved to 
to another team at the deadline. Well, I'm really surprised that Buffalo has had the year they've had because, you know, they have pieces in place. I mean, you have Rasmus Dahlin, Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart. But they they ruin all their young defense. I know, I know, but I, but but what I'm saying is, you know, Rissa yeah, Lyman's there too. Montour. Ma- yeah, but what I'm saying is, Taylor Hall looked at them in the offseason and probably said to himself, "Okay, this is a team that's kind of on you know on the rise towards playoffs, right?" And so, and also, you know, Bridget and I were talking before the before we started recording. It sounds like based off of Hall's comments to the media that in the offseason, Boston was his first choice. But maybe you can explain uh, why. They never ended up coming to fruition, and because he he commented that he ended up choosing between other teams, it didn't work out. Yeah, maybe you can enlighten us on why. But it sounds like in a perfect world, he would have wanted to go to Boston over Buffalo. I think the Bruins just weren't going to go high enough to make it. You know, maybe he would have gone. So he signs one year, eight million with Buffalo. Maybe he would have done seven million with Boston. But I, I don't think they went that high. Um, you know, I think. If they made, I don't know if they officially made an offer or not, but I think their talks were probably for something less than that. It was probably like, hey, if you, if your cost comes down and you know you just want to go to a good team, we're here. But the Bruins weren't going to be the top bidder, um, so I think he was probably hoping that their price came up a little bit. They probably both agreed, like, hey, we're not really particularly close in terms of the the financial value of this deal. Mm-hmm. And so then he looked at other options, and he took, you know. Buffalo was probably the most he was going to get for one year. And the the big multi-year deal wasn't out there for him. We know flat cap, you know, teams are up against it, all that. So he probably figured, you know, I'll get the money for one year. He probably looked at Buffalo. Even beyond the rest of the roster, he probably thought, I'm playing with Jack Eichel. I'm going to put up numbers. Bingo. And obviously, obviously it didn't work out. But I think yep. he thought, like, okay, even if, you know, even if I'm not going to make a playoff run, even if this isn't going to be my cup run season – I'll put up numbers and I'll be able to cash in next year. Yeah. Uh, or if things go south, I get moved to the deadline. So that's what ended up happening. So I, I think it's, you know, Hall's in Boston now. Okay. So so I think listeners now want to hear from us. How does this affect the team, right? So what what can the Bruins lineup when healthy tend to look like? I think that's a lot of people are trying to figure out. Okay, is it with Krejci? Is it with Bergeron? Is it a third line with Coyle? Like what like what could their lineup look like? And you know, you guys brought up Paul Mary earlier. I was I was cool with getting Paul Mary for the right price, but the itch that he did not scratch for me um, was that there's an, there's a lack of speed with Paul Mary, and I didn't think the Bruins needed to have anybody else that was crazy speed. Like I, I think the Bruins needed to get some more speed in their lineup. You, you know, Marshan can skate, Pasta can skate. You know, Richie's not the fleetest of foot. Krejci's not the fleetest of foot in their top six, so like they needed some some um, you know infusion of speed, obviously, and I think Hall brings that. So I want to throw a few potential combinations at you guys and get your feedback. All right, so there's there's the Brian billboard or whatever it's called, draft board, whatever you want to call it, lineup board. Um, so I have I have Marshan with Bergeron and Pashnak. Okay, this is preliminary. Like you know, I, I, we can go back and forth, but this these are the initial combos that came to my head. So you want to call it the perfection line? Keep them there, okay? Hall on the left, Krejci in the center, put DeBrusque on his offside on the right. Richie on the left, Coyle at center, Smith on the right. Frederick on the left, Corrali at center, Lazar on the right. On the contrary, another combination I saw on uh, on Twitter was putting keeping Smith with Bergeron and Pasternak, uh, keeping Smith with Bergeron and Marshan, doing Hall. Krejci pasta. I I this love that idea. Like. Richie coiled the brusque, and I and and then you know the fourth line was similar to what I had, and you know 
I found that interesting because I was like, huh, you know, I don't, I think on a cup contending team, on a cup winning team, I want Craig Smith on my third line. But if you can create like a, a dynamic line with Krejci, Hall, and Pasta, and then have Bergeron and Marchand carry their weight in Smith, as we've seen, and, and Smith, has done really well with them. He he has chemistry options. with them, and he has the speed similar to Pasternak, and he knows how to crash the net. He He's in the right places when he plays with that line, and they kind of elevate his play a little bit. I liked I liked when the Bruins had Smith up on the first line and Pasternak on the second line with Krejci. And I think like Hall on one wing and Pasternak on the other wing, it's just going to be completely different than with, it's going to be a shock to teams that have played the Bruins the whole season. And they've kind of gotten used to, you know what they're going to be able to expect. And that's a totally different dynamic. They're going to have to be able to play, play defense. on. Yeah. I mean, especially like if you're looking to head to say an Islanders matchup where the Islanders are a team that's been able to kind of key in on your top line now you're throwing a whole new look at them, and they're saying, oh, okay, which line are we keying on? You know, what are we putting our big defensive guns against? Um, you know, I think if Hall and Krejci are together, which, again, is what we expect, I think you need a shooter as that third player on the line because, as we mentioned, those two are setup guys first and foremost. They're not snipers. So I want to get the goal scorer who's going to finish off the chances that they're creating. Obviously, Pasternak is the best you have in that category. Uh I would be okay with Smith there. He's, you know, not quite the sniper that Pasenark is, but, but not he's a DeBrusque. shooter. Not DeBrusque. Yeah, that's why I don't want DeBrusque if there was... because I don't think DeBrusque shoots enough. I don't think he gets a shot off quickly enough. Uh, I w- I, I'm putting DeBrusque on the third line for now. And, you know, Coil with – so I guess in my world, I'm with Bridget, keeps, I'm putting Smith on the top line because that's worked. I'm going with the loaded-up second line that gives teams a different look. And then, you know, Coyle with Richie and DeBrusque over on left or right. Now, that's a, that's a line that's going to need to find some chemistry because yeah. I think Coyle and Richie in the past haven't really clicked. Coyle and DeBrusque haven't really clicked. So there's some work that's going to be required there. And that might not, not, a lot of time. that might not be how it ends up. You know, we'll see how long of a run they get. But, you know, that's kind of where I feel like that's where those guys need to be. Like, sorry, DeBrusque, you haven't played well enough to earn your way back up to a top two line. Richie, you've played pretty well, but third line is probably as really where he should be on a team that's going to make a deep run. And and there's also guys that you know Cassidy's going to slot in. If DeBrusque isn't working, say say he is on that third line with Coyle. If DeBrusque isn't working, Coleman is somebody that I think that he might try there just to see if the speed, uh, the speed factor that he can get with him. And by the way, Coleman, in the games that he's played, has really shown his offensive ability in terms of how much he is aggressive when it comes to his offense. So I, I think maybe you see Kuhlman up there. There's maybe Frederick even. I, I like Kuhlman as a player. I think he, he works his ass off. Personally, I don't see him cracking the top nine unless Cassidy tries to send somebody in the top, in the top nine a message. Um, That's or what the, it or could happen with DeBrusque. Or there's severe injuries. I know, but when you have a Stanley Cup on the line, you're going to want to put your best players. And I'm more talking about this is something they would try out before they end up in the playoffs. And, and granted, yeah. that's ex- that's um, assuming they aren't right up fight. against it in yes. a dogfight at, well, the, at the end of the season. And, you know, to the point we're making, like, Cassidy's going to have to have some patience with, with these new combinations, whatever they are. So figure out what you want to have, figure out what you think is going to work best. 
and then don't overreact if it doesn't work right away. Uh, you know, whether it's Hall with Krejci or a new look third line or whatever it is, in general, Cassidy has not always been the most patient when it comes to keeping lines together or giving them time to figure it out. And yes, I know we're, as we've mentioned, we're in the stretch run. It's crunch time. There's not a ton of time, but you're going to have to give it more than like two games and then be like, oh, well, Krejci and Hall doesn't work together. So the the alternative lineup that you guys seem to be in favor of with Smith in the top line, Krejci with Hall and Pashnak, DeBrusque in the third line. Here are my reservations about that. Number one, the Jake DeBrusque of 2018, he did shoot the puck a lot. And like that's his, that's his ceiling, that's his potential. So if he's playing to his capabilities, he can be that, that shooter. Now, I understand how he's played this year. I've been the first one to knock him. I'm just saying, he seems to slowly but surely starting to get a little bit more confidence. And I wonder if Taylor Hall's speed on the left side of Krejci and him on the line in general can really help DeBrusque get to that level he's supposed to be at. My other reservation, is it me? I'm not really seeing like dynamic chemistry between Pasta and Krejci. Oh, no, definitely So, not. like, I, this whole... Everybody always talks about how, oh, they're countrymen. And, look, I've never... There was a stretch, like, a year or two ago when Bergeron went down for, like, a month and Krejci was with Pasta and Martian. And Krejci did really well. But, like... When it's when there's no Martian in that mix and it's just them two, I don't know how much how much Pasta and Krejci work well together, despite their obvious skill and and uh, you know they are countrymen. So like, and you know, if they do go with Bergeron, Martian, and Smith, Hall, Krejci, Pasta, yes, you can always put Pasta with uh, the first line when you need him to in in big moments. So that's not a big deal. I just don't know, and 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 what you said, Scott. I don't know about DeBrusque, Richie, and Coyle. So look, there's going to be some tinkering, and and it's what you see on Tuesday if they're all in the lineup. You know, I'm sure Cassie will get some different looks and see what's what, and talk to his players and see how everybody's feeling about things. But you know, the point is um, ultimately you're going to have nine forwards in your top three lines that can score, and that and that's that that's a it's a great problem to have right now, and it's a problem that they had. Prior to the deadline, but for different reasons, they didn't have the scoring depth. Can we look forward a little bit the the to the Bruins' schedule this week? So Tuesday they play Buffalo. So I have to assume Bjork hasn't even left town; he's just chilling here. Um, yeah, and then the I didn't even think about that. and yeah. then and then I don't know if Hall and Lazar are traveling on the team with with the team. No, they're uh, driving. They're uh, driving. That's they're right. driving themselves separately. So, yes. So they're gonna end up playing each other the very first game yeah. after being traded and that should be a good time for Cassidy to try out what he wants to try out maybe even try, start with a more experimental um look at the lineup so maybe try what we like pasta on the second line but that's the that's the easiest game they have this week because then they head Thursday and Friday they play the Islanders at home and then Sunday they have Washington at noon. So those three games are going to be the real test to the Bruins and needing to get some defense back. Now, I have a question. Maybe, Scott, you know the answer to. Riley's coming from the Canada, bu- not bubble, but the, but the Canadian division. He has to come across the border. What is the time period he has to quarantine or the, the amount of negative mm. tests he has to get it's nothing because he's also driving he said he was he's driving, driving yeah he said he was driving himself from ottawa 
So, so there's no negative test he has to get before he joins oh, the he'll team? He'll have to test once he gets here, but I there's no... They all, they all test every day. Yeah, but it's not... There's no, like, you need five in a row or anything like that. Because this so. used to be a concern in the beginning of the season was traveling yeah. between Canada and the U.S. and what that would mean in terms of having to well, quarantine. And, and the concern was even... It was even more so going from U.S. to Canada. To Canada. Like, like Ryan Zingle, when he got traded from Carolina to Ottawa, had to sit, like, two weeks. Um, I think uh, the Canadian government eventually eased that down to one week or might have even been five days or something. But yeah, driving helps uh, eliminate a lot of those obstacles. So that's everyone's getting in their cars for their six or seven hour drive or well, whatever it Ottawa, is. Ottawa, so, yeah. I don't yeah, know I think that's... that's like six and a half hours. I did that once really? way Only back in the day. Really? Only six and a half? Yeah, I, six I was and a half or seven. I was thinking eight. So, uh, so Bridget brings up Mike Riley. Let's talk about him for a cup of coffee here. Um. You know, last game, the Bruins lost 8-1 to the Capitals with the uh, U18 Junior Bruins lineup on defense. So let's talk about the, the NHL Bruins defense lineup when they're healthy with Mike Riley in the mix, okay? And you guys can talk a little about Riley and what you know about him, and, and uh, we'll go from there. So, again, Coach DeFelice's uh, defense pairings, when healthy, Grizzly McAvoy, yep. Riley Carlo, Lozon Miller. So is that... And actually, we've been neglecting. Nothing's happened in the last half hour, right? No. <laughs> trade, trade I, okay. I've, I've had Twitter up. We are <laughs> past the trade deadline. Uh, some stuff for other teams has trickled in, but Bruins it, have not made any last minute moves. So, all right. So, if this blue line is fully healthy with the addition of Mike Riley, uh, are they good enough to, to ultimately go deep, on a deep run, guys? Um, If everything clicks, yes. That's obviously a big gift, but that's how it works when you make deadline deals. Uh, you know... Look, would it have been great if they got Matias Ekholm instead? Sure, but he wasn't available. Turned out, uh, yeah, the it, Predators ended up in out playoff position. They they didn't trade anyone, much less Ekholm. Um, so you know, I think yeah, Grizzly McAvoy is a legit top pairing. They've been dominant when they've been together. I think Carlo works better with a puck mover, which is why I, I, I was concerned if like if you didn't do anything and it was you were gonna have to try out like Lowe's on Carlo. I just don't think they're really a good match for each other. Uh, so Riley is that puck mover. He's a good skater. He's good on breakouts. Good size. He's good in transition. He can create some offense. 19 good assists on the season. Yeah. Which I think would be second most points by a Bruins defenseman this season. And he's only 27. I mean, he's yep. young. He's got good size. Can skate well, like you said, move the puck. So. Yeah. He's really started to find his game over the last couple of years. He's not a shutdown defenseman. He, you know, he's not. So like he's not Ekholm in that way. He's not the great two way player. But they, has, don't, they don't need him to be because again, right. you have McAvoy and Carlo. Like, yeah, and that's why if you put him with Carlo, like Carlo's that safety net. So I think that's a good pairing. Healthy I think, Carlo. I think Riley can handle those minutes, and I would trust. I would trust Riley, especially once he gets you know his feet under him here. I think I would trust him more with those kind of minutes than Lozon or whoever else they would move up in well, the lineup. So. let's not forget, Zaborl has been in the lineup for the second most games of any guy on the Bruins. In, yeah, in, that might in start pair, And in your pairings, <laughs> Zaborl is he's not... Out. He's, he's out. He's out. He's yeah. getting the axe so, and, and It's a no for me, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just something I, I think of when I look at that that. Um, well, the reason pairing. I, the reason I, I, I nix him, Bridget, is because, you know, I think... It's not. There's still some time for Zaboral to to learn from the press box now that he's with the big club. But I I really like the idea of Lozon and Miller on that third pairing. Two big boys. 
Um, you know, they get physical, they defend well. Lozon really seems to thrive, play his best when he's with Miller because of the leadership he brings and the communication on the ice that he offers and the toughness he brings. So, And I think that Lozon is, is much better against other teams' third and fourth lines than, you know, top lines. And so, you know, I, for different reasons, I like all these pairings. McAvoy and Grizzlick, they have familiarity with each other. They can both skate and move the puck well and defend well. Carlo, uh, obviously, Riley's not the same player as Tori Krug, but in the same way that they can both move the puck, like you said, Scott, Carlo works well, the puck mover. And then you have where you have that shutdown and puck mover defenseman together on a second pairing. And then your third pairing is just a... a, a a, a brute force of, of two tough combatants that can shut down and play rough hockey. The The biggest concern for me is their health. It's like if somebody brought up the other day, uh, the Capitals and the Islanders, they have had like very, very little to no injuries on the back end. And I'm watching the Bruins. Literally, the Bruins dress six six defensemen against the Capitals. And, and McAvoy should be back any day now. I think the same with Grizzlick. Miller is obviously out for... Um, minutes, uh, maintenance, maintenance, whatever you want to call well, it. He's back Tuesday. Though. Yeah. I think, Carlos, the I think one he's that, gonna, Miller's only going to sit on back to backs. Carlo, Carlo is the one that concerns me long term because I don't know if he's having head uh, side effects. That's from actually it's not, not, it's what, not, it's not that. Cassie no, said it was below the neck. So it's and, and some other upper body. He injury. said it's a separate injury immediately after the yeah. game that he got re-injured. Um, or I guess a different injury, he said this is not the same as the concussion that he got from Wilson. And one other thought on, um, that's good news. One other thought on uh, on Grizzlick is because we talked about him in the past. He's he, he's a walking Band-Aid. He's always getting always getting taken advantage of. He's down of. the tunnel every night. But here's the thing, here's the thing though. If you put him with McAvoy, in theory he's less prone to injury from this you know, ragtag third or fourth liner bearing down on him on the forecheck then he would be with McAvoy playing against more skilled players on the top line of another team. So that might be the best way to, A, optimize the two of their skill sets and chemistry, but also keep them, keep them safe. Yeah, and, you know, McAvoy, this is one of my favorite quotes of the season. It was probably like almost a month ago at this point where he was asked about playing with Grizzly, and he sort of just casually said, we don't play a lot of defense when we're together. And he, like, <laughs> quickly kind of caught himself and was like, I don't mean, that like, just, like, like, we don't value it. I just mean, like, we always have the puck in the offensive zone. And it was great because it's like 100% true. When they're on the ice, the Bruins almost always have the puck in the offensive zone. So they're not, you know, they're not banging bodies behind their own net, out in front of their net. Like, they retrieve the puck. They quickly break it back up the ice. By the time they have to come back, the the opponent is exhausted from chasing them all around the offensive zone. So it's like it's just an easy dump in. So they almost protect themselves just by how good they are, especially if you have them on the ice with the top line, like it's just a possession machine. Well, what works against them is just that they play so many minutes that their their bodies take a little bit more of a beating and, and there's a little bit more of a toll on them just because they are out there for so long. Yeah, it, but it, if it's a lot of offensive zone time, those are less taxing minutes than the defensive zone minutes. And, you know, so they've both... I more mean they're on they've the both ice killed, longer yeah, to, and, to get targeted or to to have that injury happen yeah I mean just gonna be smart about when you change though but um you know I think Grizzlick is look he's he's a smaller guy he's gonna get banged up pretty much no matter what and you just have to hope that he's smart enough to avoid the brunt of the hit uh you know I mean look the, the one the other night that knocked him out for a couple games now we'll see if it's any more 
it was just like a total freak play. Like it was just, it was kind of like an accidental elbow to the head. It looked like, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like he got hammered or anything. It wasn't like he was in a vulnerable position. Kind of just went in two guys bumped and the way I think they were playing the flyers that game, the way the player sort of just like turned kind of just accidentally caught him. So some of that's bad luck. Like that's not, it's not a play you can really do much about. Like if a guy happens to spin off you and accidentally catches you with an elbow, it's, all right, like you know, that's not like you had a hot target on your back, or you're in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, or anything like that. So let me let me post this to you guys because uh, we have about 20 minutes left, uh, a little bit less probably. And um, so the Bruins have had their issues this year offensively, you know, and they've had injuries on the back end, but you know they're still there. They they still have you know a four point cushion on the Rangers with games in hand, and a lot of games coming up against Buffalo down the stretch. You know. It, Unless, barring a 2011 Red Sox uh, beer and chicken collapse, the Bruins should be should be well on their way to the playoffs. And you have a lot of star power on this team now. So Taylor Hall comes in. If he can start to get ignited with the the, the roster around him and the the defensively sound system that leads to offense in theory when players are are going well, he should really produce well. That'll get David Krejci naturally going because we assume they'll be together. And if Jake DeBrusque, you know, can can start to find his game where he's been invisible all year and you add Taylor Hall, you know, the Bruins could be very scary. So, and also, you brought up Scott Curtis Lazar. He's sneaky good offensively or has some sneaky offense. He's also very good defensively sound. And like I said to start the podcast, if you're not going to be very familiar with them, most likely for, for Bruins fans, Go back on YouTube and just type in Curtis Lazar so you can get familiar with the way he plays. You're going to like him, and he's going to make an impact on their bottom six, most likely their fourth line. Also, if you just want a good laugh, uh, oh, yeah. I, I I retweeted this on my Twitter account. Connor Ryan tweeted it out. Uh, when uh, when Ottawa's having the whole like hamber- hamburger thing with uh, Craig Andrew, Anderson? Andrew Hammond, I think. Oh, it was like yeah. the goalie. Yeah, got, oh, that's right. Yeah, he got yeah. like super hot for like a couple months, yeah. oddly. Uh, <laughs> It was like 10-0 that he just never played again. Yeah, it was a game against the Bruins. So fans in Ottawa started like throwing hamburgers on the ice for him and stuff, and Curtis Lazar just picked one up and started eating it. <laughs> so here's my question, Bridget. We'll start with you. Okay. With these new additions, if the Bruins can play to their potential and stay healthy, the most important thing. By the way, just year. to throw this in, to yeah. the, one one of the late deals that was made, the Capitals got Anthony Mantha from the Red Wings. So that's, the, oh, oh that's, 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 a, that's a big one. That's significant. I did that's not know that. That's huge. Yeah. He was an all-star very recently. Yeah. Well, so now I'm going to put Bridget on the spot with that news because we just <laughs> okay, found out Okay, well, that, that does change things. So, and, and I think that that makes it makes me feel like Capitals, Capitals Islanders, you're not catching. No, it's not about but not, not about catching them. Just like when, when the playoffs begin and all the cards are on the table and it's a new season if all these teams are playing well looking at each team's depth where do the Bruins now stand in the east power rankings if the playoffs were to start today in the east power rankings I think they moved past Pittsburgh I, I think Pittsburgh didn't did they do anything they got Jeff Carter they got Jeff Carter I don't think shell of Jeff Carter really. I, exactly hey, if it was 2013 it's a big yeah. move <laughs> exactly which we're, we're well removed from that uh part of his career but I think the Bruins have made moves that get them past the Penguins. Just question still. The Capitals, like we mentioned, are so healthy. And they have such a good defensive core. They have such a powerful first line and power play. 
I still see the Bruins struggling in the playoffs against the Capitals. Yeah, I guess I would, and not even just because that last game makes me feel I don't, bad about. I don't it. like. I don't like. And Scott, you'll you'll elaborate. I don't like the Capitals in goal very much, and I'm not in a, goal. Yes, we haven't talked about the Bruins situation in goal either. To be fair, but what we can say is that they're probably in good hands either way, unless it's uh, Darth later. But well, nothing against them. But if it's Rask or Swayman, poor, poor, he got left, hung out to dry. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. But like, you know, with the Capitals, I'm not in love with their goaltending situation, and. I love Chara, but you know him and Nick Jensen—they're not—they're not that great of a third D pair. And Orloff is a defensive liability. They're—you can take advantage of them in their own end. But the Islanders, I think, are—I think the Islanders are the team to beat in the East. I—they just yeah, the way Barry Trotz has them structured. Yeah. So like, if I were doing, and they're big. If I were doing power rankings, I—I I would agree. I think the Bruins have probably done enough to move ahead of Pittsburgh, and Islanders and Capitals are probably still on top. But you know, I think what. What these trades have done, though, is they've given the Bruins a chance. Like, I now – so I wrote this in, in a column I wrote for WEI.com. Uh, it's now – it's not impossible to envision things going right and the Bruins making a deep playoff run, whereas well, a week ago – Well, all you ago, need is a hot goalie. Like, we've seen this before. You, well, go- and, I think team they, gets and I think chemistry. they have the potential to have an offense that gets hot beyond the first line. Agreed. I think they have They're a defense now. that can move the puck if it's healthy, which – based on how the season has gone is a big if. But, you know, a week ago I would have said, man, if they do nothing at the trade deadline, it's going to be really hard to envision them making any sort of run. Heck, it would have been hard to imagine them getting out of the first round. And now I look at it and it's, and I just feel like there's a chance. There's hope. And, and, like, and Scott, like, you're there. You're not far. You're not that far off the Islanders or Capitals, even if power ranking-wise you're maybe a little behind them. And, and, and Scott, the, the reason why this is really, really difficult to look into the future about is because of the way the playoffs are structured this year, where we don't really necessarily know what's going to shake out because obviously these aren't the normal divisions. It's going to be based off of percentage, points percentage, correct? Yeah, well, so, you know, assuming everyone plays the 56 games and yeah, you can just go by points and then everyone's got to get out of their division first so you got to get through you know you're gonna have to get through two of the three of islanders capitals penguins and then when you know once the division winners are decided then they i think reseed things by points percentage so you could face like any other any of the other three division winners basically once you get to that so yeah i mean look on paper you're still even if we want to say you're closer to teams in your division or even on par with them, like on paper, you don't look like you're on the level of a lightning or an avalanche, but you know what? You wouldn't have to worry about those teams until the final four. So like, don't worry about them right now. Yeah. Like let's get through your division first. And there's no guarantee that the lightning or the avalanche are going to get through their divisions. The The best team doesn't always win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, like we've seen that. Over and over again. We'll cross that bridge if it gets to it. And if the Bruins get to the cup finals, it won't matter who they're playing because that means that the Bruins are playing great hockey and anything can happen at that point. But uh, about the Capitals, like I said, I think it's the Islanders because take last game against the Caps and throw it out the door. Okay, before that game, I believe that the Bruins were 3-0-2 in their five games against the Caps this year, which means they took points out of all five meetings with the Caps until that, you know, bogus game against them when they had no defensemen so they play the capitals well and so for that reason i think that 
the Bruins could easily beat the Caps in a seven-game series. You have size in Nick Ritchie. Curtis Lazar is going to add that bite as well on the fourth line. Uh, Trent Frederick will be at his his ways as, as a fourth liner. Carlo has size. Mike Riley has size. Kevin Miller healthy would be huge for them in the playoffs. And then obviously McAvoy. Like I think, and in a goal, I think they have the goalie matchup. So I have my eye on on the Islanders. I'm really curious to see how the Bruins play them down the stretch with both teams with their playoff rosters intact. Yeah, that that is going to be really fun to see because that's the team that you you have to prove yourself against anyways because you haven't been able to beat them yet. So that's that that's sort of that boogeyman where like you know players will always downplay like whether anything like that gets into their head or whatever. But it's got it to some extent, like you know, especially. There was I don't know if it was the last time they played or like two times ago, where they had I think a two nothing lead and they blew it. They end up losing in overtime. Like, you know, you've got to kind of get over that Islanders hump and at least start to give yourself. Con- you've had some close games against them. It's not like you've gotten blown out every time you've played them. Played them, but to get over that hump and beat them is going to be important to do at some point down the stretch here. So one final note before we go, and I want you guys' take on this too. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention Don Sweeney much today. Um, so he's been he's been criticized a lot, rightfully so, over some some iffy free agent signings and you know not great trade deadlines and drafting developing has been you know hit or miss. Uh, look, you get you get you address three team needs. You don't give up a first. You don't give up a top prospect or a roster regular. How did how how did he get Hall for a second rounder in Bjork? Did no other team have anything better to offer I, well, besides Bjork? Well, so it's one thing that's uh, come across while we've been uh, uh, recording this is Kevin Adams, Buffalo's general manager, uh, is on a call with the, the media uh, Monday afternoon. And just based on what I'm seeing on Twitter, he said that it would be fair to say that he was limited in terms of the teams he could trade Hall to. Taylor Hall had a full no-movement clause, which might be one of the reasons he went to Buffalo in the first place because he knew he would have if he did get moved to the deadline, he would have full control over where he could go. And Hall, you know, essentially said that in his press conference was, uh, yeah, the no movement clause helped me get to Boston. So combining that with what Kevin Adams has said uh, Monday afternoon, it it sounds like Hall basically said, like, Boston's where I want to go. That's where I'm going to waive my no trade clause. Like, you hear that, Bruins you know, fans? Hall wants to be here. Yeah, which is number which seventy-one is great. Like, in, in your pamphlets. Well, he said he was jealous of Sagan that Sagan ended up here, so and he ended up winning a cup here. Well, either way, good for Donnie. I mean, it, his his Achilles' seal has been the inability to outmaneuver his 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 peers around the league in the GM press boxes when it comes to uh, the valued assets at the trade deadline. Taylor Hall, make no mistake about it, was going to be the most sought after, probably forward free agent that that was left on the board. Don Sweeney got him. For better or worse, he got him, and the risk is very, very little. You give up a couple middle-round draft picks and, and, and Bjork. Sorry, Bridget, about that. but <laughs> We didn't um, even get into that. We did not. So Can I, can I say one thing, yeah. too, that I saw today that we haven't touched on, but it's worth mentioning even just for a minute? Uh, Jake DeBrusque was considered to be someone who was being shopped, um, and the NHL Network and... TSN both had him up there as somebody that people were interested in and calling about. So, um, the decision not to move him, how do you how do you feel about that? I think it should give him a boost. I think yeah. that should give him a boost of confidence. Like, all right, these guys have my back. I'm going to go prove them right. And you know, it does give him a, an abundance of left wingers. Now there's five NHL left wingers, which is why one of them, likely DeBrusque, will probably have to go to his offside. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it should um, give him some confidence. 
take a lot of doubt or worry out of his mind. You know, if, look, when, when your name comes up in trade rumors, you know, players will often try to say, like, oh, I don't think about it, I don't pay attention. But it's hard not to. You know, they hear it. Like, they watch NHL Network. They, they're they on social media or online that you know going to whatever sites like debrusque addressed it to the yeah, media it, that he it, he had heard what people were saying so. yeah it gets to them and so i'm sure it's been on debrusque's mind to some extent and so yeah maybe he now has peace of mind and hopefully that helps him and uh gets him straightened out and focus for the rest of the year another tiny little point that i wanted to make was i noticed something was going on with bjork because yesterday before the washington capitals game because he came out he was in like the best mood i've ever seen him in in the tunnel just like messing around with marshawn smiling away comes out takes warm-ups bleeds in the lineup and and bjork is it just doesn't come out and play and I'm thinking to myself, like, okay. And he's been a scratch the past few games, which isn't unusual. But it, it was a lingering thought in the back of my mind, like, this this could be, you know, him getting told, hey, yeah, you know, the, we actually have uh, made a deal where you're going to end up going to Buffalo, which probably the worst case scenario for him, thinking he's going to be able to play on another playoff team. And then now he's going to go into that situation. And um, Lord knows what his future will be like there. Well, yeah, he- well, his – his approach has to be, I'm going to a situation where now I'm going to play more and play regularly, mm-hmm. and he has a chance to prove myself, and he has a chance to to show what I can do with regular playing time and a bigger opportunity. So, yeah, it stinks. Obviously, anyone would rather be on a, a playoff team than you know the team with the worst record in the league, but he's he's got to find a way to take advantage of it. You know, it's... Uh, I like Anders Bjork as a person. He's always been a good interview. Like, I hope it works out and well for and him. He, but. And he, when he was in college, won the, uh, I, I'm blanking on what it's called, but it's like the Humanitarian Award for the most um, public service when he was a college athlete. And he he's a good person. He deserves to, you know, get his chance. And he's he's got a good head on his shoulders. So hopefully he ends up making the oppor- the best of the opportunity in a bad situation for him. Yeah, he's, he's well-liked in the Bruins locker room. He works hard. Uh, and look, I think it's I, th- I think it's a compliment to Anders Bjork that he's being traded. I don't, it's not so much the Bruins are giving up on him; it's that he was an asset for them that was able to bring in he had Taylor value. Hall. He had value, and and that's when you're a player, like it's that that's a double edged sword. It's like if they didn't value him, he would he would still be here in and out of the lineup. Like, and so he's going to a situation where I think he has a history with their with Buffalo's coach from the U.S. program or whatever, and he can get a chance to, to show himself in a regular role in Buffalo, and I hope he, he does well. So at, with that said... Wait, uh, may I squeeze yes. in one final yes, point? Yes, Because yes, I'm yes. getting them all in at the end here. Uh, just because Curtis Lazar has been kind of the third person talked about in this situation, it's you know important to mention he was once a number 17 overall pick. He can play in 2013. Yeah, he, he he was a number seven, uh, number seventeen overall pick, and that's kind of been something that's been looked over a little bit. So if that gives anybody a little bit more hope and and gives them a little bit better idea of um, what he could be like, the Bruins picked up two first round picks for a second round pick and Bjork. So yeah, that's what the deal ended up being. Yeah, Lazar can play. That's why I said you know don't sleep on him. Go research his highlights. He he works hard. Doesn't take a shift off. So. Uh, Scott's got to get out of here. Don Sweeney's speaking at 3.55. So just to recap before we go, Bruins get Mike Riley defenseman for 2022 third rounder. 
They got Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar for Anders Bjork in the 2021 second rounder. Thanks for listening to the Skate Pod. We'll talk to you guys next week.